0: Maranatha, our Lord, come. Friends, you know that that word, Maranatha, is one of the oldest Christian prayers that scholars have been able to identify. From the earliest days of the Christian church, Christians have been praising Jesus and crying out, Maranatha, our Lord, come. In fact, we find this prayer at the end of 1 Corinthians as the Apostle Paul wraps up that great book. He he uses this phrase, Maranatha, our Lord come, to conclude his teaching to the church in Corinth. That was written 20 years after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And so again, from the earliest days, we see that the Christian church was longing for the return of Jesus, crying out, Maranatha, Our Lord come. You know, friends, when I think about that reality, I have to say that I think one of the greatest tragedies of the 21st century church is that many Christians no longer yearn for the return of Jesus. We become apathetic about the prophetic events that God has told us are coming. We no longer pray And cry out, Maranatha. Instead of yearning, many today are yawning, giving little concern to the return of Jesus. And friends, I think this is tremendously sad. It's tremendously sad in light of what God's word has revealed to us about the prophetic events to come. It it, it causes me to question is Jesus really our heart's true love? Have we become too comfortable in this fallen and broken world? Do we really understand the urgency of reaching lost people who need Jesus? How about you, friends? Are you yearning or yawning when you think about the Lord's return? Well, my hope and prayer for all of us today is that we would leave here this morning excited and more hopeful and more anticipatory than ever about the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we are in week three today of an eight-week series looking at the end times. If you missed the first two weeks, let me just give a couple... quick points of review this morning. Uh, We started out week one looking at where we are in God's prophetic timeline. And uh, we showed you this timeline that you can see on the screen behind me. If you'd like a copy of this, we actually have copies of this timeline on our next steps desk you can pick up this morning. But today we are living in what is called the church age. We are in that period of time between Jesus' incarnation, his time on earth, when he died, he rose again, and then he ascended into heaven, and he has left us now in this world to live as his ambassadors, taking the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. That's our commission. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, no matter where he puts us, no matter where he's placed us. We live to share the good news of Jesus with others and jesus has told us that he is coming again and the next event that we are waiting for on god's prophetic timeline is an event known as the rapture the harpazo the the snatching up the catching up of the church into the air to meet the lord and this rapture of the church is imminent that means it could happen at any moment There are no more prophetic events that need to take place before the Lord comes and raptures his church from this world and brings us home to him. It could happen at any time. If you were with us two weeks ago, we talked about the signs of the times, signs that Jesus told us we could be looking for to know that these end times events were soon to take place. We, we talked about five different signs. We talked about uh, the acronym signs. There's going to be spiritual signs. There's going to be Israel signs. There's going to be global signs. There's going to be natural signs. And there's going to be societal signs. We're going to see the signs around us. And Jesus says in Matthew 24:8, these signs are going to increase in frequency. They're going to be like birth pangs where a woman going into labor, those birth pangs grow in frequency, they grow in intensity, and you know when those birth pangs ramp up that that baby is soon to come. And Jesus said this is what the signs of the times would be like. But then Jesus tells us not to be afraid because the signs mean that he is coming. The Lord is coming again for his church, and that's going to take place in this great event called the rapture. If you weren't here last week, my friend Pastor Mark Henry did a terrific job sharing with us some of the theology, the biblical studies behind the rapture. You can go back online and watch that message if you didn't have a chance to hear it. But Jesus has promised us some incredible things. For example, in John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus tells us, don't let your hearts be troubled. Okay? Why not? Because I have gone to prepare a place for you. And if I've gone to prepare a place for you, Jesus says, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Friends, Jesus is coming again for his church. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us more about this event called the rapture. Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, our, our, our loved ones who have already passed away For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. That's that word, harpazo, raptured up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord therefore encourage one another with these words paul gives us another glimpse into what this rapture is going to be like in 1 corinthians chapter 15 he says behold i tell you a mystery we sh- all we shall all not sleep okay we're not all going to die some of us are going to be alive when this takes place but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Paul says this is going to take place in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We're going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. This is the hope that we have known as the rapture. And friends, remember, why is Jesus going to rapture his church? This is so important. Why is Jesus going to rapture his church? He's going to rapture his church to deliver us from God's coming judgment upon this fallen sinful world. A terrible period of judgment known as the tribulation. A seven-year period where God is going to pour out his wrath upon all of the sin and wickedness of this world. But we're not going to be here for it, friends. If you're a follower of Jesus, he says, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to rapture you. I'm going to take you out of this world before that period of tribulation comes. Now, next week, if you come back, we're going to study that period of the tribulation. I don't even know why I bother studying it, because I'm not worried about being here for it. I'm, I'm going to be gone, okay? But I think we need to be aware of it so that we can be more motivated in the mission God's had given us to share the hope of Jesus with others so that they can make sure that they're not stuck in the, ra- in the tribulation either. But, but remember, God says he's going to deliver us. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. The apostle Paul says, wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus is going to deliver us. We read in 1 Thessalonians 5.9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, Jesus says, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Friends, again, if you're part of the church, if you've put your trust in Jesus, God's promises are clear as day. You're not going to be here for the tribulation. Jesus is going to deliver us from the wrath to come. That's the hope that we have in the biblical promises about the rapture. And it's no wonder Titus 2.13, the apostle Paul, calls the return of Jesus for his church our blessed hope. This is our blessed hope, friends, that we are not going to experience the wrath that's coming upon this world. We're going to be delivered out. That's God's promise to us. Now, here's the question. What are we to be doing in the meantime? What's our mission as God's people as we await this coming rapture of the church? Well, the Apostle Paul reminds us of our mission in light of this coming rapture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Look what the Apostle Paul says to us. This is our mission as we await this coming rapture. Paul says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's our calling, friends, as we await the rapture. What is Paul saying here? He's saying stay faithful, stand strong, and always keep the main thing the main thing. That's what it means to be abounding in the work of the Lord. Keep the main thing, the main thing. What is the main thing? The main thing is advancing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, making sure the whole world has a chance to hear that Jesus loves them and he laid down his life to save them from their sins. And Paul says, Know that your work in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain, friends it's never in vain when you live your life in light of eternity in service of jesus your work for the lord is never in vain and today we are going to look at why paul could so confidently declare this that our labor in the lord is not in vain we're going to look at the incredible promise excuse me the incredible promise that comes next In God's prophetic timeline, after the church age is over, after the rapture has taken place, what can we expect next as God's people? Well, friends, we have an incredible, incredible event to look forward to. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. This is what comes next for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ. We will stand before his judgment seat sometimes referred to as the bema seat now where do we find this teaching in scripture on the judgment seat of christ if you have your bibles turn with me to 2nd corinthians chapter 5 verses 6 through 10 passage will be on the screen as well but let me read this for us this morning 2nd corinthians 5 verses 6 through 10 paul says so we are always of good courage we know that while we are at home in the body we are away from the lord For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home with the Lord or, or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. Whether good or evil, here the apostle Paul tells us that we will each appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That term in the Greek "judgment seat" is the word "bema," bema, bema in the Greek, and it refers to a, a raised platform in the Greek Olympics where the judge or the official would sit. He would sit on the bema seat. And there at the Bama seat, he would give out rewards to those who had competed in the games. These rewards were often uh, laurel wreaths in the shape of crowns. And they would be, the runners, the athletes would be given a crown, a laurel wreath, as their reward for competing in the games. But they had to go to the judge, they had to go to the Bama seat in order to experience this reward. And in the same way, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we are told in Scripture that after the rapture, we too will stand before the Lord's judgment seat and receive rewards from Jesus. Now, friends, it's important for us to understand this morning the judgment that Paul talks about here in 2 Corinthians. This is not a judgment about salvation. This judgment has absolutely nothing to do with your eternal destiny. How do we know that? Well, we know that because only saved people are going to be there. If you're standing before the judgment seat of Christ one day, it's because you were raptured out of this world as part of God's church, and now you are standing in Jesus' presence in front of the judgment seat of Christ. Friends, remember, what's the great promise of our salvation? Jude, the earthly brother of Jesus, tells us. In Jude, verses 24 and 25, we read, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you what? Blameless. Blameless to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time now and forever friends Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross his death his shed blood which covers your sins when you put your trust in jesus you now will stand before him in all of his glory at the foot of the bama seat the judgment seat and you will be presented in his presence blameless not because of anything you did but all because of what jesus did for us on the cross what an amazing gift that is, friends. And so the Bema Seat, the Bema Judgment, is not a judgment about salvation. It's a judgment about what we did with our salvation. It's a judgment about how we ran our race as followers of Jesus. What did we do in this world with the time God gave us to live for him? That's the judgment. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-10. through 10. Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What is Paul saying to us here? This is a pivotal passage In all of the scriptures, Paul says, number one, you are not saved by works. In fact, there is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. You can't be good enough, you can't work hard enough, you can't give enough money, you can't serve long enough. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Why? Because you are a miserable, pathetic wretch of a sinner. Okay? I hate to break that to you. Moms, I'm sorry, I know it's Mother's Day, but that's the reality. Okay, You have major problems. <laughs> but God, in his great love for us, sent his son, Jesus Christ. And he died on a cross for us, even while we were still sinners. And it's because of God's grace and mercy, that free gift that he purchased for us on the cross through Jesus' shed blood, that we have the right to be called children of God, washed, cleansed, forgiven, presented blameless in his presence. It's not of works. It's not about anything that we did to deserve this. It was purely a gift of God's amazing grace. But then Paul goes on to tell us, we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace through faith, but we were saved by grace through faith for the purpose of good works. God saved us so that we might do good works on his behalf. And at the bema seat of Christ, we're going to be judged and rewarded for those works. Now, what exactly is going to take place at the Bema judgment? This is where it gets interesting. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. And here we read the specifics about what is going to take place at the Bema judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Paul says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Now, Paul's talking to the church here about how he started the church. He brought the gospel to them. He laid the foundation, and others have come behind them now and are building upon that foundation. They're discipling this church. They're helping this church to grow. That's what Paul's talking about here. So someone else is building upon it. And then he says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. So how are you building upon the foundation of the gospel that someone else laid in your life? That's what Paul's getting at here. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone is built on, the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now what is Paul talking about here? Well, again, this is what is going to take place when we stand before Jesus at the Bema seat judgment. The Bema judgment is going to be a purifying process. God is going to examine our lives. He's going to weigh our lives in a scale, and and all of our good deeds and bad deeds are going to be dipped down into the refining fires of God's holiness. And when they're pulled out of that refining fire, Everything that was not good and pleasing to God is going to be burned away. And all, <clears throat> all that will be left are those things that we did in honor of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus. The of the judgment is going to be this process of purification, like the refiner's fire. It's not going to be painful. We're going to go through the holy fires of God, and God is going to burn away all of the impurities from our lives. What, what, what exactly are these works that are going to be burned up? Well, well, the Bible gives us a couple hints about these things. Matthew 6, 1, Jesus tells us, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, don't live out your faith for the sake of others so that others think you're doing all these great deeds. Okay? Check your heart. What's your motivation? What's your purpose in serving God? Is it so others can bring you praise and glory? Or is it because you love Jesus and you want to honor him? The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4-5 this is therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Friends, this is the stuff that's going to be burned up at the Bema judgment as we go through God's refining fire. Anything we've done out of selfishness, anything we've done out of improper motivation, anything we've done that seeks to bring us glory more than God glory. God says, I'm going to burn all that away. It's going to be like wood, hay, stubble, that when it goes through the fire, it's all burned away. And all that's left will be the pure things that we did in honor of Jesus. What are these rewards that Paul speaks of here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Well, friends, this is where it gets really exciting. After we go through the refiner's fire, we're going to be given rewards. What are they? We're going to be given crowns. We're going to be given crowns by Jesus. Now, why crowns? Well, a couple of reasons. Crowns, number one, because as we saw earlier in the ancient games, when the, when the runners came before the Bama seat, they were given crowns, laurel wreaths. The crowns were a sign of victory. And so God's going to reward us with crowns because we ran our race well. But he's also going to give us crowns because the Bible tells us that everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ is one day going to reign with him in his millennial kingdom on the earth. Friends, did you know that? We're going to talk about the millennium in a couple weeks. It's going to be awesome. But the Bible tells us that if you're a follower of Jesus, there's going to be a thousand-year period where Jesus is going to reign over all the earth, and the believers, those who trust in him, who love him, are going to reign with him. Now, friends, if we're going to reign with Jesus, we need crowns, right? And so look at these great promises in Scripture. 2 Timothy 2, verse 12. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Revelations 2, 26 through 27. Jesus says, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron and when earth and pots are broken in pieces even as i myself have received authority from my father we read in revelation 5 9 through 10 and they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for god from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom of pre- kingdom and priest to our god and they shall what Reign where? On the, on the earth. Friends, these are God's promises. We're not going to reign up in some spiritual, ethereal you know, kingdom. No, Jesus says you are going to reign with me on the earth. That's awesome. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. But again, these are God's promises. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can one day look forward to reigning on earth with him. Now, what kind of crowns are the, is the Lord going to reward us with? The Bible tells us about five kinds of crowns that we will receive at the bame of judgment. There might be more. okay? There might be more. We don't know that. But there's at least five crowns that we are told we can be rewarded with by Jesus when we stand before his judgment seat. The first crown we read about in Scripture is called the victor's crown. 1 Corinthians 9:24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. You're going to get a crown, an imperishable crown. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one being there, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul says this is a crown about discipleship. This is a crown given to those who faithfully pursue Jesus in their lives. And it's a crown who's given, that's given to those who live with integrity who practice what they proclaim. This is the crown, the victor's crown. The second crown that we're told about in Scripture is called the crown of life. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Friends, this crown goes to those who persevere in the midst of trials and tribulations. I heard just a couple weeks ago about an evangelical pastor in Ukraine who lost his life when the Russians invaded his town. He had stayed behind to continue pastoring his church and to care for his people. This brother in Christ one day is going to stand before the judgment seat, and Jesus is going to take the victor's crown, the crown of life and place these on his head and say, well done, good and faithful servant. What an honor that will be. The third crown we read about in Scripture is called the crown of glory. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 4, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This crown is sometimes referred to as the disciple maker's crown. It's the crown that Jesus is going to give to all those who faithfully shepherd his church. Faithful pastors, faithful elders, faithful men and women who served God throughout the church in whatever area of responsibility God's called them to, Awana leaders, Sunday school teachers, servants of Jesus who work at discipling others. Jesus will present them with the disciple-maker's crown. The fourth crown is called the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy 4, 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing." Friends, do you love Jesus? Are you longing for his return? Is Maranatha the cry of your heart? If so, the crown of righteousness is in store for you one day. The last crown we know of through Scripture is called the crown of rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20. Paul says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Friends, the crown of rejoicing is a crown that will be given to all who share in the joy of having won a lost person to salvation. This is a crown given to those who know the thrill of leading somebody to salvation in Jesus Christ. If you've ever had the privilege of sharing the good news of Jesus, and praying with somebody to come to a saving faith in him, friends, you can expect to receive the crown of rejoicing. And you know something? When you think about this moment before the judgment seat of Christ, when we're awarded these crowns, friends, we can't even fathom how incredible this experience is going to be. I mean, it just boggles the mind to think about standing in the midst of God's holy presence, having gone through his refining fire, and then Jesus coming to each of us to reward us for the things we did on his behalf in this world. It's going to be incredible. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.18 says it's so incredible, he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul says everything in this world isn't even going to compare to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Let me ask you a question this morning, friends. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day, what crowns will you be receiving? Will you be receiving any? I'll tell you something. The reality is when that day comes, there will be nothing you'll desire more than to have Jesus approach you with those crowns and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's all that's going to matter. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You know, I think there's a lot of people today, even a lot of Christians today, who are spending their lives trying to earn the wrong kinds of treasures. Earthly treasures that aren't going to amount to a hill of beans in eternity. Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Store up for yourselves the treasures that will last into eternity. My uncle, Peter Kraus, is a, is a PGA golf professional. He's one of the top PGA golf teachers in America. He regularly makes, you know, the top 100 teachers list of golf magazine. And, and uh, I'm really proud of my uncle Pete, great guy. I remember when I was a little kid we used to go to my grandparents' house uh, north of Green Bay Wisconsin and one of the things I always thought was fascinating in their living room they had shelves full of trophies from my uncle Peter's golf accomplishments state high school championships college tournaments he had won professional tournaments i mean huge trophies you know big silver plaques and you know massive trophies i mean just lining the walls it was awesome and I always thought it was so cool seeing these incredible trophies. I was back at my mom's house a couple weeks ago helping sort through some stuff in her garage. You want to know where my uncle's trophies are today? They're in a cardboard box covered in dust and grass clippings and spiderwebs sitting in my mom's garage. That's not to diminish my uncle's accomplishments in any way but it is to highlight the truth of what Jesus tells us. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. When Jesus returns, friends, one day, the only trophy case that any of us are going to care about is the one on display in heaven. And that trophy case are going to be the crowns that we lay at the feet of Jesus. Well, you have crowns to present before our Lord and Savior. That's all that's going to matter. I pray you will, friends. I pray the desire of your heart this morning, from this day forward, is to live in light of those eternal rewards. I pray you share the motivation of the Apostle Paul, who said in Philippians chapter 3, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, let's let that be our heart's cry. Let's let that be our motivation. As we yearn for the second coming of Jesus, as we cry, Maranatha, our Lord, come, may we continue to press on in faith, serving Jesus, serving the cause of the gospel, serving to advance his kingdom so that we can receive the prize one day when we stand before the Bama Seat of Jesus. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this great hope that we have to look forward to one day, the, the promise of the judgment seat of Christ when we will stand in your presence and you will purify us, you will... Burn away all of those things that we did in this world that were not honoring and pleasing to you, and all that will be left will be those works that we did on behalf of you and the gospel and your kingdom. And then, Jesus, you're going to stand before us and present us with crowns, rewarding us for our service to you. And then, Jesus, we're going to bow before you, and we're going to lay these crowns at your feet because you are truly the only one who is worthy. And Lord, what a great day that's going to be. I pray that all my friends here this morning would look forward to that day with great joy and anticipation. And I pray, God, that each one of us will have the privilege of being rewarded with crowns an abundance of crowns because we lived our lives in light of eternity. We lived to bring you honor and glory. We didn't store up treasures on earth that moth and rust destroy, but we lived our lives storing up treasures in heaven to bring you honor and glory, Lord Jesus. God, give us that motivation, Lord. Help our hearts cry to be the Apostle Paul's cry that we might press on for the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God, help us live with eternity's values in view. Lord, I pray blessings on my friends as we go out into the world this week to seek to bring you honor, glory, and praise. May we be faithful, Lord, in the calling you've given us. May we serve you faithfully as ambassadors no matter where you've placed us. And may we let our light shine, the light of the good news of the glory, the gospel of Jesus Christ. For your honor and glory, Jesus. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. If any of you would like prayer today, our elders and some of our Stephen ministers will be here at the front of the sanctuary. We would love to pray with you. And I want to leave you with these words from Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Now to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you, and again, mothers, happy Mother's Day. Have a great week, everybody. Hi, everybody, Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.